0: Welcome to the Open to Hope Show in partnership with the Compassionate Friends. I'm your host, Dr. Heidi Horsley, and I'm here today with my co-host and mom, Dr. Gloria Horsley. Welcome to the show, Mom.
1: Well, thanks, Heidi. It's uh, great to be on today. And we're going to have a wonderful guest. She's a bereaved parent, and um, but she also does yoga. And, and I know, Heidi, you and I have really um, benefited from that, haven't we?
0: Absolutely. We both did it today, in fact. On different coasts, I'm here in New York, and you're in California. But, That's right. Yes, and I
1: went to your sister's yoga studio and did yoga. Paula
0: did. Um, she was a, did yoga at the Compassionate Friends conference last year, and it was it was really really good. Today, mom, we're going to talk about wellness and grief, and our guest today is Paula Stevens. Paula founded Crazy Good Grief after the unexpected loss of her oldest son. With a master's degree in exercise physiology. Worked as a certified wellness coach and yoga instructor, Paula put her knowledge to work in the grief community, offering retreats, online courses, and yoga that focus on the importance of nurturing ourselves in the healing process. Welcome to the show, Paula.
1: Thank you, and thank you both for having me. This is such a treat. That's great to have you on. I know our audience is going to want to know, your oldest son, how old was he, and how did he die?
2: So Brandon was 21 when he passed away in October of 2010. And he was in the Army and happened to be home on leave when he passed away. And he passed away um, as the result of an accidental overdose. Um, And he had taken half of a painkiller. But unfortunately, it was an extended-release tablet. And he, um, he broke it in half. And, unfortunately, it dumped into his system all at once. And um, then he died in his sleep that night. So, oh, wow. Oh, wow. Um, Very about... unexpected, of course. And uh, there's a part of me that feels like there is some blessing in the fact that he was in the service and was preparing to be deployed and happened to be at home when it happened. So, um, you know, if there are blessings out there for me, that's one of them. Mm-hmm.
1: So you, when he died, you were already a wellness coach and exercise physiology.
2: Yes. So my background is exercise physiology, and um, I've worked in cardiac rehab, and uh, currently I teach at a local university in their human performance and sport department. And so you know, I really have spent the last 25 years, um, you know, cultivating a career in promoting wellness and prevention and. Um, talking about all of the things that exercise does for us, both on a physiological level, but how that that physiological change actually facilitates change on a larger scale in our emotional, way, uh, emotional status. And um, it really took me, after Brandon died, even with all of my knowledge, it took me as long as I would say the average person to realize this connection. And I think... Um, the aha moment for me was, here I am with, you know, a master's degree and years of experience facilitating wellness for other people, and grief was so hard and so heavy and so raw, that it took me some time to saddle up and say, no, this is the right choice to make. It's the right thing to take care of myself. And so, how
1: how long did it take you? And and I oh. just wanted to say, it's surprising what a physical hit.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: uh, losses, mm-hmm. isn't it? Oh my gosh, yeah. Um, you know,
2: one of the things when I work with clients now, um, and I mostly work with um, people who have sustained some sort of a loss of a loved one, not always a child, but some other tragedy. And it, you know, weight loss or weight gain is probably the number one uh, change that I see in health status, but it is equally as common for me to see somebody get diagnosed with an autoimmune disease. Um, hypertension, which is um, elevated blood pressure. Um, I've even had one client who uh, was 43, very fit, very healthy, uh, went through a traumatic event and um, had a heart attack. So it was a female, which we typically don't see females, in, you know, 43 years old having a heart attack, but it was related to her loss
1: mm-hmm. and the
2: trauma. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. How long did it take you, and did you have an aha moment when you realized? Because I did. I uh, a few weeks after Scott died, I just had a voice say to me, you're going to get sick if you don't start working out. Mm. And I, I, yeah. I went out and ran. Yeah. But, the, but the shame I felt at doing that, I felt ashamed. Like people didn't think I was really serious about this grief if I'd take care of myself.
0: Ooh,
2: that's, well, let's, we'll talk about that in a minute. But I, I do want to share sort of my aha moment and um, how I how I realized how important this was because this was, a big turning point for me, Um, you know, prior to to losing Brandon, I've always been a runner. Um, You know, I've run the Boston marathon and um, I'm really ingrained in who I was. And so I am fortunate that, you know, I already had a lot of those self-care elements in place, but after Brandon died, if I didn't have friends who would call and say, we're going, I wouldn't have gone. And there was one particular Saturday morning that my girlfriend called and she said, I'm picking you up and we're going to go. And this was probably about six months after Brandon passed away. And so I had just gotten through the holidays, and I was in a very, very, very bad place. And I didn't want to go for the run. And the only reason I went was because that morning I had decided that I could no longer do the grief. I could no longer carry that load. And I had already put, you know, put things in place and already had created a plan to take my own life that day.
1: Oh,
2: wow. Wow. Yeah. And so the, the sort of the funny part was I only went for the run because I was so afraid of mm-hmm. doing anything out of my normal routine on a Saturday morning that would make anyone suspect I was doing something different. Mm-hmm. And ah. so, but here, you know, the joke would end was on me. I distinctly remember sitting in the parking lot waiting to meet my friend um, and we live in Colorado, and I get to run in some very beautiful places. And we were running along this creek bed, and it goes up for about six miles. We didn't—we didn't go the whole six miles, but um, <laughs> we were running along. But I remember sitting in my car, thinking, "I just can't wait to get this over with." I just—and I—I had so much anxiety and angst, um, and then I, almost giddy anticipation because I was so and beyond Mm -hmm. myself with grief and we went and we ran and we were gone for probably about 90 minutes and I got back in my car I sat down and I had this moment I took a breath and I thought okay I can do this one more day Mm
1: -hmm.
2: I, I can hang on one more day and this something similar to that not quite as dramatic as that day was for me but I would have moments where I would go for a walk or I would, um, you know, something would happen and I would move my body and I would feel this shift. I would feel almost like somebody massaging my grief and moving it through my system in a way that was really positive. And, you know, there was numerous times where I thought, okay, I think I can go to the grocery store today. Okay, I think I can, you know, go do something with a friend today. And, I started to notice this connection. It was always on the days when I was doing something that took care of myself, whether it was yoga or a run or, honest to God, sometimes it was not having that second or third glass of wine or something Mm -hmm. like that. Like in some way I made the choice to put myself first. And then it would just kick off this domino effect where other things felt easier to carry. Mm-hmm. And more accessible to
0: me.
2: Wow, that's a great, a great. Story. It is, and
0: you're you're really bringing home the point that we need to figure out how to move our bodies, even when it feels painful. Because, like you said, and I love that you said this. It felt like you were it was you were massaging your grief. Mhm. And for those of you out there that feel like you're not going to be able to survive just to figure out how to move your body, and also you said something that I thought was important, and that was you you realized that you could survive one more day. Sometimes we have to kind of just live in airtight compartments after loss.
2: Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't have to worry about tomorrow. I didn't have to worry about next week. If I could just feel like I could get through this day, then, you know, it gave me hope.
1: And what about, was, what about yeah. the guilt and shame of taking care of yourself? Oh, gosh. I was so afraid.
2: Um, like, so for example, um coming up on Brandon's one year anniversary of his death, some friends convinced me that it was a good idea to run a half marathon in his honor. And it's we would go out and run and I would cry through the last two or three miles and feel like you know it was such a luxury, like who could who could even dream of being able to do something so self-absorbed and so luxurious as just being so, you know, free as going out and running when, you know, I should be sitting at home with my grief and I should be hanging out with my grief. And, and I ended up, we ended up doing the half marathon and I literally cried myself the last mile to the finish line because I had this moment of this was the least selfish thing you could have done. And I remember letting it go that all those times I felt so guilty for, getting a babysitter for my youngest son and leaving the house and going out and doing that. And yet when I did it and I completed it on October 9th of 2011, the following year, um, I remember thinking this wasn't selfish at all. It got you through this year.
1: Mm-hmm. That
2: was the thing that did it. And if I didn't have that distraction, if I didn't have this other thing, you know, where was that of energy gone? It was going to go now somewhere. Now, you were,
1: you were a runner, so let's talk to people yes. about I'm not a runner. What right. things, small things can I do to get me going?
2: So as a yogi, what I would tell you is the most powerful piece of energy that you hold in your hand at every single moment is your breath. And your breath is present with you right the, right now in this very second. Your breath never ruminates over... Oh, my gosh, you were breathing so shallow when you were stressed out an hour ago. Or, oh, my gosh, what are you going to breathe like in an hour from now? Your breath, if you can focus on the movement of your breath, it always brings you to the present moment, and it always moves you to the next moment. That's the most beautiful thing about our breath is, one, it's energy. It's energy in. It's energy out. It creates that flow of energy that we need. And it keeps us in the present moment moving forward. And I think if you can stay in those two places, present moment and moving the breath forward, you don't have to run. You don't have to bike. You you really don't have to do any of that if you can connect to your breath.
0: Well, and I think that's important, Paula, because after a loss, we often can't connect to our breath and we're breathing Mm -hmm. very shallow.
2: Oh, my gosh. So... As an exercise physiologist, I will tell you that the science behind when we breathe shallow, and so if you, you know, and, and I'll do it, and you guys can do it too, when we take a breath that all it does is lift our collarbones and we keep that breath really high up on our chest, that stimulates our sympathetic nervous system, mm. and the sympathetic nervous system says fight or flight, and raise your heart rate and raise your blood pressure because we're getting ready to do something exciting. Now, Ah. conversely, right, if I take that breath and I inhale in and I let that breath and I press that breath all the way down to the bottom of my belly so that when I inhale, my collarbones stay soft but my belly comes forward, I stimulate the opposite. I stimulate the parasympathetic system. And the parasympathetic system is all about relax and calm down. So, when I breathe, if I inhale in and I let that belly fill up and I let my ribs expand to the side, then my heart rate goes down, my blood pressure goes down. And I do that a few times, four or five breaths, and I'm going to feel a shift, and I'm going to feel a softening.
1: That's awesome. I never heard it explained that way. That is Mm -hmm. great. Now, I want to talk a little bit about why people often crave comfort foods during loss and what about this weight gain? Um, (laughs) There's weight loss, but uh, you know, over time, I just see a lot of people that I love Mm -hmm. gaining a lot of weight after they've had a loss.
2: Yeah. So, people, it ties into that fight or flight again. Um, So, if we look at just our bodies, Biologically, if we look at the human system, um, we are, in essence, biologically, the same animal being, animal species that we've been for 10,000-plus years. And so on a very primal level, we operate on fight or flight. So I explained like fight or flight in regards to what it does to our heart rate and blood pressure. Well, when I'm in that fight or fight place, so I'm breathing up into my collarbones and I have that anxiety and angst, Then the other thing my body does is it flips the switch to crave immediate energy that's going to help me run faster, fight harder, you know, all the things that keep me alive and survival. So 10,000 years ago, I'm fighting the woolly mammoth. Today, I'm fighting the demons of my grief. And the body doesn't distinguish between those two. The body sees the same mechanism, right? It sees the same um, ignition switch get flipped. And so... I increase heart rate, I increase blood pressure, and then I need immediate energy. And immediate energy comes in the form of sugar because your body metabolizes it and and uptakes it very quickly. So sugar, we go straight to the sugar stuff, and we go to fat because fat storage allows us – because we can use fat as an energy store for later on. So Uh when people – look at that bucket of macaroni and cheese and go, Oh my God, I just want to stick my face in that bucket and never come out. Right. Or that bucket of ice cream or like whatever it is. Um, and I, I, I say this coming from a person who is very much hardwired to be an emotional eater and, and that I very much will turn to food for comfort. Um, so it comes from a place of knowing, (laughs) not a place of academic lecture necessarily. Um, but that's what happens is we start, Our body says, you need sugar to fight this. This is stressful. You need to sustain your energy. But the reality is we're not running from a woolly mammoth. We need, usually when we get those, that's a trigger to return to the breath, reverse that breath from the top to the bottom, and check in and say, okay, what is happening right now that's igniting that system in my body? Why, you know, am I lonely? Am I angry did I just hear a song on the radio that reminded me of my loved one? Because usually we can make that connection.
1: So, so that's, that's the, yeah. the comfort food. Tell us about your dump truck analogy of the grief. The <laughs> so I
2: how I explain to clients and people that I work with and at the retreat, we talk about um, a cement mixer. And so we all know what a cement mixer looks like, right? It's this great big huge truck. And whether it's stopped at a stoplight or whether it's moving, the tank on the back of the truck is always turning because the cement inside, if it stops moving, it turns to concrete. And our grief in our system is very much like the cement in the back of the cement mixer. We have to keep it churning. We have to keep it turning And it's a way for us to get curious about it. It's a way for us to explore it. You know, we turn it over, we look at it, we move it around, and we become familiar with it. But if we just let it sit in the back of that truck, if you will, right, if we just let it sit in our body, it turns to concrete. And it's a lot easier to pour liquid cement out and move it around and create what we want out of it than to have it turn to cement. And then we have to get a jackhammer out five years later, 10 years later, whatever the amount of time where we didn't deal with it and we didn't process it and we didn't reach out for support and we didn't connect with communities that were supportive or whatever that looks like in our healing process. Now we've got to get a jackhammer and start breaking up that grief and breaking it up. And that's a lot harder process than using self-care strategies to just move through it, to get curious about it, to see what, what happens when I do take a couple breaths. How does my body respond? How do I feel after I eat that bucket of macaroni and cheese or the bucket of, you know, ice cream? Do I really feel better? Okay, and sometimes the answer is yes. Like, honestly, sometimes we say, yeah, I did that, and I had to do that. I couldn't make it through the next moment. I'm still looking for a better strategy.
1: I love it. Listen, mm-hmm. how can people find you? So people can I know find you me do at and...
2: crazygoodgrief.com. Um, if they want to email me, they can email me at Paula at crazygoodgrief.com. Either one of those works. Mm-hmm.
1: And you're doing workshops? I
2: am. I am doing some workshops. Um and then I have uh, two retreats that I do annually here in the Rocky Mountains. And it is just an incredible healing, good juju, three days of just healing and connecting with um, bereaved moms. Um, and then I run some online courses on self care and wellness during grief. Um, and then
0: I, of course, do my speaking as well.
1: Okay. Well, fabulous. Right on. I love everything you're doing. Oh,
0: I do too. It's wonderful.
1: Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And thank you so much for being on the show today. It's been great, and we are looking forward to seeing you at the Compassionate Prince.
2: Yes. Well, thank you for all the work you guys do, too. You're so awesome, and you pull so many people together doing great things. Thank you so much.
0: Thanks, Paula. You're welcome.
1: And for all of you listening today, we hope that you will take care of yourself, right, Heidi? And work out and do those things. I know it's hard at first you can barely get out of bed right Hyde?
0: absolutely and i want to tell everybody out there you don't have to be a yogi to do yoga just join a very entry level class and all you need to do it's it's like a stretching class at the you know or restorative class
1: mhm yeah and i i know one of the things i i wondered why um i'm less i, I have less trouble um maintaining my weight when i'm doing yoga and i never knew why and now she just told me why mm-hmm. because uh, it changes my breath that's yeah. kind of interesting so uh, Heidi and I always want to remind you, if you have been listening to this show, that if you had a loss and you've lost hope, please lean on ours until you find your own. And God bless you. You've been listening to Open to Hope Radio, hosted by Drs. Gloria and Heidi Horsley. Like today's edition, all of our past programs are available on demand at opentohope.com along with helpful articles, videos, resources, and links to help get you through the toughest time of your life. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter and sign up for our monthly newsletter. Again, that's opentohope.com. Check it out today. Then be sure to stop by next Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific time when we'll be posting another edition of Open to Hope Radio. Remember, others have been where you are. They made it through, and you can too, as long as you're open to hope.